people don't quite understand what the point of this stuff is. One, it's fun. It has to be fun. So if you don't like it, f you. See, you can group at 60, mm. but what are you using? Like, what's your what's your setup? I'm using the Matthew VTX. Okay. The smaller of... Sweet. Fucking yeah. I like the snake farm. This is, this is Jared's thing, man. Like, he... Sick. He started this, well, and he didn't start it. So Sick. a couple other Air Force guys, and he came in a little later. It's a skateboard company, and they're fucking super cool guys. They're all like JTACs. Skateboarders are worrying me right now. Why? So like, they used to be like so anti-establishment, right? Yeah. They're like the rebels, you know, like the government. Yeah. And now, now they're like, yeah, you can put sand in our like skate park and- yeah. They're like, yeah, you know, down with, down with the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I what happened? I don't know, man. I, it's weird that. Because how old are you? I'm old. No, how I'm old? a seventy year old. <laughs> I mean, we're like forty. We'll say forty seven. Mid forty. I'm forty seven. So, like, we're like bucking the system. We're going counterculture, and there seems to be this younger generation. It's more conformist. Wild. It seems very weird to me. Yeah. It seems like we should be flipping this around somehow. <laughs> Normally, isn't that the way it goes? Like, it's not like your parents are like, hey, you should go out and break the rules. <sighs> like, your parents typically aren't doing that. Whereas, like, we're like, no, like, this is stupid. Yeah. I mean, even my, my, my college age girls right now, you know, go experience. Right. You know, like, oh, you want to live abroad? Send it, awesome. you know, go. In, in comparison to all of their peers, which are still at home, that are, you know, working in some local minimum wage job with like no purpose, direction, or motivation. And uh, and uh, I totally agree. I'm like, I mean, if you, the rules for me right now, I don't care. Like, just <laughs> just go figure go figure yeah, you out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Which is wild coming from us that were like, they forced us to learn. Yeah. processes and systems and they wanted us to obviously like operate outside of them but you, before you could do that you had to understand before you could like teach a G how to do war you had to perfectly know 7-8 then you could teach guerrilla warfare then you could do unconventional warfare do you think that's accurate though do you think it's like you could perfectly execute 7-8 do you think that's the really inaccurate description or do you yeah, think, I think at the end of the SAT, you had a general I don't know I, I would say you had a uh, you had to have a a, a competent junior NCO level infantry knowledge of it. Competent, yeah. right? Like you didn't have to be an expert. I think you refine it as you go. I don't, I had my ODA. It was a requirement to go to ranger school. And so every dude there had a tab. Um, this is John McPhee's early team. There's a couple of guys that wouldn't Oh, go. you were on John's team? Yeah. Oh, that's solid. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Right, bro. <laughs> he's, he's like an a, intense cat. He is. He's amazing, but he's a break glass in case of war yeah. type guy. Yeah. And, you know, he struggled his whole career with garrison periods. Um, but you send that man to war, and I was so fortunate and lucky to, to have him as my boss because – and I was trash. I mean, I was like, when I first got to the teams, like knew nothing about anything, but I thought I knew everything. Right. And he was so – not gracious or kind or had any grace or any patience and just like beat the crap out of me. 
It's me. great. Because you, you were fighting before you went in. Mm-hmm. So you, you're you relatively well-known. That's how I ended up at C37. That's right. how I went straight to the CRIF. Okay. Was John had knew of my fighting background and knew that I was already pro and I was already a shooter. Mm-hmm. So he it was a mistake. I think if you went back in time and, you know, old John McPhee talked to young young John McPhee and young old John McPhee would be like, hey, do you see that young 18 X-ray? He's an idiot. Don't do anything with him. Make him go to a regular team like everybody else is supposed right, right. to. It's been four or five years. And then he can try out to come to the SIF. That's what should have happened. Because what year was that? This was 2005, 2004. Because okay. I, I think I was down there. I was down there for uh, whatever, Sears School, like the one of the three variants of yeah. it. And that's – so I was over talking to one of my buddies. It's good. Dynamite. It's green scene. Dynamite. Yeah. And he was telling me about this guy. You know, professional fighter that's now joining the army. He's telling me he's a seventh group guy. He was actually at the seventh group set. And so it's funny because I was at seventh group and I remember having this conversation about you not knowing your name because yeah. I hadn't really like followed your career or anything. But then recalling it, we'll call it 10 years later because we're getting ready to do range 15. Uh, I was like, that's a fucking guy. There's only so many, <laughs> right? I mean, there's like you and you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no other. It's been so fun now on the backs. You know, like Jocko and I were in Iraq at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Mike and I literally like high-fiving as we're swapping in rotations, uh, both Afghanistan and to Iraq. Um, and then he came to my unit as a as a sergeant major. And so um, the how small this community Dude. is, is so wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite parts about it. I I, I mean, I, you know, meeting Mike, which was way back in the day, right? Way back, like 11 years ago. Cause I, I knew Mike before or 12, 13 years ago, whenever it was, knew Mike before you, so putting through that selection and training program. Well, Sean Ryan and I worked together in Afghanistan, like 10 years ago too. So it's like, we just talked about you a couple like, of days ago on his podcast. Like, oh, you were on there? Yeah. Oh, dude. He's, he's such a, what a good great dude. dude. He's a great dude. And it's such a small world and it's, it's also one of those things that like, um, Dave Rutherford, I don't know if you know, Rut, like Rut, I think, you know, he's really good friends with Sean and then, you know, Mike and all these guys, like we've fucking known each other yeah. for years and now it just seems like they're killing it and yeah. it, it makes me so happy and genuinely happy. Like gen, I love to see people win. I actually am one of probably, I would say, and not, not this isn't some weird complimentary conversation about myself, but I love to compete and see people beat me. I yeah. love it. You know why? Because I love to fucking compete. It grinds me into fucking moon dust emotionally. But when they beat me, I'm like, fuck, that's awesome, yeah. man. Like, especially on the range, if you're like pistol rifle or whatever it might be, I take so much enjoyment because I know how hard I've worked and I know how difficult it is to get it good is. at this thing. And there's this guy, uh, Brett Morgan, Brett Morgani, that he and I used to compete against each other all the time, and it, it was fairly close, like pistol, 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 like fifty yeah. fifty. And I fucking loved shooting against that guy. It's like my favorite person. Like you never want to shoot against the guys that are like, or compete against the guys that are, you're just fucking demolishing all the time because it's like, ugh, I mean, it's it's kind of boring. But if you're like, man, if you get a level up, and that you get that last. 
try to get in that last 10% of efficiency mindset mode where you're, you have to do it. Yeah. And there's like, you feel like your life is on the line over some stupid fucking game, it, but it's so fucking exciting. Do you think that that kind of transcends Please, the, yeah, yeah. the competition portion? Because I, I see that in our community. Um, you know, when you're watching somebody that beats you, I think back almost in this instant replay in my brain about what they did. How did they shave time here? Like, wh yeah, where, yeah. where were they moving different? Like, what what was the draw different? Where were they transitioning between targets? You know, like, where the eyes driving? What was it that they were beating? That they were able to beat me? I mean, you take that kind of same approach critically, and what we'll say, like 20, 30 of us that are doing it on the entrepreneurial side. Like, I, I watch the things that you do, and Mike does, and Sean does. And I, I get inspired, like you guys are my muses, because we're doing the same thing. We're, oh, yeah. we're not like directly competing, we're complementarily comp competing, but like I see you do something or like going to see Sean and he was everything that I hoped, you know, he's so sincere and authentic and genuine. And um, he's also brilliant, has like an incredible recall, you know, was bringing back facts and dates of locations. And uh, then I was like looking at his podcast set up, set up and then obviously going to Fieldcraft Survival today. You just get these little golden nuggets. Yeah. Is, there, is there a thing that you, if you're doing on the range, this competition, but it's to elevate you as a person oh, and yeah. to elevate you as, as in a skill set and a mm -hmm. modality, do you do that in all things? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, I take so much enjoyment over watching people succeed and do something at an exceptional level. Uh, Chris Williamson, do you know, he yeah. lives in Austin. I talk to him, I don't know, every other day, probably via text, like back and forth. And I watch his show. I, I watch his show for the substance of the information, but I also am like, man, the guy is really good at not only communication, the simplicity of information, the way he sets up, the way he lights things. It's a, it's a beautiful show. Yeah. And he's so well-prepared too. He's so well-prepared. I, I, I just, Thoroughly, we, we were actually talking about this on the way up here. I was like, man, I watch a lot of shows, not necessarily because I'm really interested in the information. I'm just interested in the way that they're doing it. And I take a huge amount of enjoyment over seeing somebody do something exceptionally well yeah. and then knowing like, God, man, that's like you're leveling up. You're yeah. leveling up. What did you do? And then he's you're like, too. he's such a cool guy. He, I invited him on a elk hunt this September. So I was like, hey, come up. And he's mm -hmm. like, okay, let's go. I'm sure he'll know. He needs to. Was he at the range with you the other day? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he was texting me photos, uh, you know, of him at the range. He didn't tell me he was with you. Yeah, he, uh, he, needs to, he needs to shoot more. Is that yep. what you're saying? Okay. All right. That's that's good to know. Unless, like, so, unless you're yeah, taking yeah. like some, hot, like, if, if you're going to take him hunting, yeah. he needs to get some time behind a gun. Um, I got this new. Uh, I don't even know the name of it. I know the the, the gear nerds know like everything. It's like yeah. the Kilo 10 or something. It's a new ballistic range finder. Binocular with a Kestrel connected to it via Bluetooth. Who, who makes it? SIG. Okay, yeah. And it, so it gives you all the atmospherics and that feeds and then you you upload via the app all of your, like your ballistic coefficient, your muzzle velocity, mm. the grain bullet, you put all that into the app, that all connects to the binoculars. The binoculars are connected to the Kestrel or to the, their their anemometer. Is that what mm. that thing's called? Right. Um, their yeah. atmospheric measurement tool. And then you just point this thing and it tells you the most accurate. Like you cannot mess this up anymore. 
And I shot this red deer, a hind, at 600. And I literally didn't think about the shot. I went like this and I was like, and that was the end. That was it. That was, there was no was effort. There was no hunt. There was nothing. It was uh, so anticlimactic and so uh, unenjoyable because it made it so easy. God. Like that's that's kind of the the whole thing with archery, right? Because it's so difficult. Yeah. It's so analog. Everything's analog. There's there. Yeah, of course, you have rangefinders, and I, I always find it fascinating that they plugged so much technology into a string and a stick. You know, you have you know, camber or, you know, you have the, the, the cams, you have the limbs and it's carbon fiber and it's, you know, everything. I'm struggling through the, so, my bow life right now. So technology driven. Yeah. And I love it because it, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating hobby. It is. It's fascinating. It's and for gearheads. It's anything and everything that you want. The more you peel the onion, the more it makes you cry because it's, any and all things. I, I I have a box of, I was telling, um, oh God, who was it? I was telling Cam, well, it sounds like I'm name dropping. I was, I was having a conversation with Cam Haynes, which I love guys like this because my cousin is this guy, Dirk Durham. He goes by the bugler. He, um, he works for Phelps game calls and I need he's, a couple of he's like hook, won hook the elk with him. bugling championship yeah, multiple times. And I, got the tongue <laughs> yeah. I was explaining to them, uh, yeah, I have all these releases and I'm trying to figure out the differences between all these releases, what hinge release and, you know, thumb release and all these different types of releases. Cause I'm just genuinely interested in what the fuck is going on. Like, how does it affect the impact of the shot? How does it feel? How does it break? Like, and they were, they look at me. One, like I'm I'm complete fucking crazy person. And they're like, why? Like find a release that you like and just shoot it for like my, my cousin Dirk shoots the same release that he's had since he was 16 years Whoa. old. Whereas like, I'm, I can't, like, I have to like try to understand I, every I found fucking release difference. That was the most similar to a gun trigger. Yeah. That's what I've, I've tried to do. Yeah. That's like, I, I Are you I can't. still wrist drop guy? Yep. Yeah. 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 I know. Mm. I, I, so bear, serious question. Okay. Do you ever get tired? No. You don't ever get tired. Like, do you ever wake up in the morning and go, fuck, man, I'm tired. I'm no. smoked. You just always have this energy yeah. that you have. I, this is just the I, I've been on the are. road. I, I got like, and I've been really intentional about sleep and I'm not, uh, in the past two days, like last night I got four hours of sleep. The night before that, I got two or three hours. The day before that, I took um, this kid named Jacob who, who has a huge TikTok following. He's been going through this beautiful transition because he was like this Austrian rapper and and really degenerate pornography, you know, lifestyle and moved to Texas, learning how to hunt. And it's been really fun to be, so I took him hunting the right. same day I hunted that red deer. Um, so we had to get up at, I had to get up at 3.30. I asked, ice bath at 3.15. I was on the road at four. We were hunting, you know, at sunrise at 5.36. Um, and then got back, cleaned the gear, flew out the next morning, but I had to wake up at four, same thing, ice bath at four, went to the airport at five, flew out for my brother who got in this like crazy gunfight in California, received this a Medal of Honor uh, award from the state of California and the county that he was working for, for rescuing his amazing, he didn't like group effort here. My, my brother was part of a group of people that right. um, when this asshole shot Jesse, one of his partners, um, they had to fight to Jesse to get Jesse off the X and then 
then they had like real suppressive fire, like putting rounds yeah. into the door to get Jesse off and medevac him. Um, and so a bunch of the deputies that were on the scene got awards and that was yesterday. So I had to fly to California and then fly from California to here. And I had two dinners last night to then go teach that seminar this morning, but yeah. I had to get up and get a workout in. I couldn't find an ice bath, but that's fine. Um, no, man, I don't. You don't get tired. No. So you don't know what it feels like. Like have you ever, have you, have you ever been tired where you're like, fuck, I'm smoked? Like physically. But yeah, that's what I'm asking you. Like. That's different. Like my brain has never been like, man, I'm tired. Mm. I want to lay down. And I'm, right. and I'm like, my brain is like, what do I need to do to get my body right? Mm. So I'm going to go sleep for eight hours right now, or I'm going to like go try to talk my wife into climbing on top of me. So I can have like really good sleep and then I can wake up early and get a good workout in so I can come back and make my kids breakfast in the morning so then I can drive them to school so then I can get to the office a little bit earlier. And that just keeps the momentum going. Huh. Um, you know, every time that motivation fails you, discipline and routine will save you. So I'm really disciplined about my routine in this intentional way because you know how many of our friends are struggling right now with mental health yeah. and, um, and they're all of our peers. So I, I view it as this line in the sand that I will not do any of these things that contribute to me heading in this direction. So I sleep, I eat well, I exercise, I'm like intentional with my kids. I go to church, you know, like I'm intimate as often as I can. I like try to murder my friends in the gym, um, right. you know, and, and it's like, don't touch porn. All, all of these things, like you have these choices and one goes one way, one goes the other way. Well, when you make all these little choices, you just end up with extra time and extra energy and extra happiness and like extra intent and extra um, opportunity to, to contribute to people. So I'd way, be, I'd way rather be on this side because I've like been on this side and this mm -hmm. side was like me taking my clothes off and swimming due west into the fog. Right. Don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'll stay over here. Um, so it's like a really conscious thing for me every day mm. to, man, I love life. Yeah. We're lucky to be alive. Yeah. The shit that you've done. 100, 100% agree. Like, like, there's I, just no, I, I think about it every day. Like, I think about it not only every day, but I think about it every night when I hug my kids. Every day, actually, I hug my kids like, I don't know, I, as often, all the time, as often as I can, like I'll grab them and I'll hug them and I'll tell them that I love them because like part of this is a, you know, one, it's what I want to do, right? Um, but I, I grew up in a household of, of, of fairly competent Stoics uh, that didn't really show a ton of emotion. And uh, I didn't, no, it wasn't as if I grew up in a, in a broken household or anything like that. Actually, both my parents loved me. They're fucking fantastic people and they didn't get along and they separated their ways. But that's not a tragedy story, right? It's, hey, through their their lessons, like I'm raising my kids a different way. Yeah. And then the second forcing function in there is uh, people that we've known, our friends that are no longer with us, whether they were killed in combat or whether they took their own lives or whether they died early of cancer uh, or or uh, car accidents or whatever it might be, I know that if they had the opportunity to be here in my seat, what they would be doing. Yep. So it's a it's conscious. A big, it's, yeah. it's, it, it is. It's, big motivator. It, it's a responsibility. It's a motivator. It's all the time. It never goes away. Like my kids had a chess tournament today and um, I was like, fuck, man. Like 
Like both both my girls are in this chess tournament, right? Like, That's so cool. It's so cool, right? In, but I want to see you. I want to see Mike. I wanna, so it's like it's a hard choice yeah. between going, hey, I want to go see my kids in this chess tournament, or I want to go see my friends. Both of them are actually equal because they're they're both about love. Yeah, I I again in, with intentionality, I, I break my time into three different buckets. Mm. And the the primary bucket is my ability to spend time with my family. The most important thing in my life is God, family, country, friends, and that that is the thing that I want to be able to do. And the next is me developing as a man to be the best version of myself intellectually, um, collaboratively, to be able to be a good employer, to be able to like build businesses, um, to be challenged, to, to be well-read, to be well-traveled, um, to, to, to be a man that my wife can look at and want to be with, that my, that my kids can look at and be proud of, that my daughters can look at and be like, this is the standard of what a man should be. Um, and I can't spend time with my family if I'm, if my son's embarrassed for me to be there. Right. You know, like I walk into the cross field and like my belly's hanging over my pants with my front butt. And um, he's like, yeah, go get him. You know, like instead he's like, my, he goes to school, score a goal. The first thing he does, his head snaps around and he looks to me every right. time. There's nothing he can do about it. And the smile explodes on his face. My daughter, when she's doing ballet or tap, you know, the, the moment she steps up on stage, she scans to see me. And she, wouldn't do that if I'm abusive, if I am rough hand, like, so I have to be this good human, mm. which is that second bucket. And the third bucket is my ability to, to fund my family. Like I have to be able to put food on the table. Like it's great that I can be at the house as we starve to death, or it's great that we could be in this crappy house. Um, or my kids have to go to public school because I can't afford for them to, um, go to my school. Like, so in these three different buckets, and they're all complementary, and and not that I'm justifying my time away from my kids, but I can't be in front of my kids unless I'm a good person. I can't be a good person if I can't feed them, and I can't feed them unless I'm smart and capable and energized. And so I have to. That's that's how I and I, I find peace with being here right now. You know, I'm gonna fly home tonight so I can make it to my son's tournament tomorrow. Um, and I was able to like bend time a little bit so I could, you know, be there for my brother's ceremony right. yesterday and then come and hang out with Mike this morning and hang up, come and hang out with you and then bam, right back home. But I wouldn't miss that time with you and Mike, just like I wouldn't miss that time with my brother because I'm not going to go home to my son and be like, my son, look at me. Why aren't you at Uncle Nick's ceremony? The whole right. entire place knows who you are right? and how, what a disservice to him. You know, when I met the sheriff and, you know, I was like, like, why do people want to take pictures with you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm Nick's brother. You know, like nothing else. She had no idea who I was, but yeah. more, more importantly, the only reason I was there is because I'm that motherfucker's brother, you know. And uh, I'm gonna go home, and my 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 son knows that that's where I was, and that's why he's there. Right. I, I, it's interesting the way you break those things down, like because I see how busy you are. Like I, I see how busy you are. I know what what you got going on. Obviously, you have lots of different professional aspects of your life. One is still in the military. Uh, which I think is fascinating to me yeah. that, you know, do you, have you told people, like, have you been telling people that you got promoted? Mm. You haven't? Well, not until I finished the academy. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So it's not necessarily official, official until you, it's like hard capped by, yeah, the, I mean, by like, the academy. Yeah, I mean, like being selected to go to the academy is, is yeah. the, like, congratulations. Right. But, um, you know, for, for me, it's, you know, congratulations, you got promoted. It doesn't matter until you pinned. 
Right. You know, like, cool, you're whatever promotable. Uh, I'm going to be re- re-enlisting and we're trying to figure out, I'd love to actually talk to you. What, what is the, the army was like, Hey, let's do this big thing. Like this helicopter talking about like your re-enlistment for recruiting retention and, and like why, um, the spectacle of it. And I was like, man, I, I think that's wrong. Mm. I'd rather find we can and make an event, but we should be talking about like, why is it important in 2024 to serve your country? Right. Why is it important to to selflessly volunteer to go and be part of an organization that is doing sometimes things that you don't 100% agree with, but in some instances doing the most incredible, remarkable things that have ever happened in modern history happens in the military. Um, and I, I haven't figured out what is the right way to, you know, July I have to reenlist to go to the to go to the academy. So right. I have to. I, I I was talking to this. I was talking about this yesterday. Somewhat similar. I was talking to Clay Hotmacher. Do you know that he yeah. is? Yeah. I talked to him for like an hour. I talked to Clay like he was on the show, and uh, I was talking to him about. There's a a philosophical obligation, at least from my perspective. Um, some of the content that we make is purpose in the context of it's not necessarily, it's not, we're not monetizing it. What we're doing is we're really trying to show people what, what service means. Like what, you know, remember we, we did this mini doc on case on and I'm like, I don't want people to forget because case on, you know, the, for those people that either watched it or familiar with it, it is this really intense siege that that lasted almost two months in Vietnam. It was it was a horribly tragic event for a lot of the Marines that were killed out there. And it was exceedingly violent towards the North Vietnamese that were trying to take over the, the fire base. But this is such an important piece of history that for me, I don't want to see it just you know fade away yeah. from the context of people's memories because a lot of these Vietnam vets are still around. And we just did this doc on SF so it's a mini doc. It's like 40 minutes long. Jack Mandeville actually did the production of it. And I was talking to Clay specifically around, I know recruiting is is under a ton of pressure. Like I understand it. More importantly, the level of individual that would be attracted to, to joining special forces and continue to serve their country through multiple uh, volunteer for hazardous duty yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, signups, like we have to show people, like I think it's our, our our obligation as guys that have some type of platform to go out and show people. I get shit on that. so much. I 100% oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I see it and man, I, I fucking stomp the fuck out of it when I see like, it or but hear Evan, it. Evan, you're supposed to be the quiet professional. You know, like yeah. I get I, it. You know, but when like, you're, we're, we're dying right now. Like literally our re- retention side, guys are getting out or they're dying. Yes. And on the recruiting side, nobody's coming in because nobody understands what we do. And we do the baddest thing to ever be done. Special forces is like the most incredible group to exist in the history of, of warfare. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I mean, I obviously am just not just going to agree with you, but I, 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 there, there are fundamental differences between the different units or regiments and, and I'm breaking this down for people that. The beautiful differences. Yes. There's beautiful differences, but it's one of the only, special operations, kinetic special operations branches where you have to learn a foreign language in order to go 
into the field. You're going to spend a significant amount of your time in other countries working with their indigenous, host indigenous force. Yeah. You're going to be pushed into a full spectrum of operations with small units, host indigenous forces. Like these are incredible experiences and in, and I'm not taking anything away from any, anyone that wants to do anything else. I'm saying as far as intellectual and physical capabilities and being able to be in a small team in the middle of fucking nowhere doing incredible work, yeah. man, it's, it, it, it will forever reshape the, your DNA. It will forever make you a, a better person. It sounds like a recruiting commercial now, but I owe it to the community. I've, I've yeah. said this forever, man. I owe it to the community. They, they gave me so much, like these experiences that with the men that I was serving with, the senior NCOs, a, a small amount of officers, but the senior NCOs that beat the fuck out of me to make me, well, to turn me into something that was decent. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't necessarily, you know, take, take accolades for being great. I can just say, hey, they, they, they formed me into something that, and today, and to your point, like those experiences have been carried with me for fucking decades. I was having this conversation with somebody going, they're they asking me, well, they were getting ready to go to selection. They're like, oh, how do you train? I was like, well, I mean, you, you can train, but I mean, you want to know the secret? They're like, yeah, give me the fucking secret. I'm like, don't fucking quit. It's the same, <laughs> it's the same secret as being a success in life. Yeah. And if you have it in your DNA, as a quitter, you need to eradicate it like a fucking cancer. Like, because there's very few things that I actually disdain more and is directly attributable to SF. It's like when you're a quitter, dude, yeah. <laughs> there's not there's not too many other things you can be called that are worse, actually. Yeah. L liar, quitter, thief. Yeah. Th those those three are like unforgivable sins on a team. Uh the, the thing that the things that they give you. I, I get it. The military doesn't just give you great things. Like sometimes they give you sleep apnea. Sometimes they give you caffeine addiction. Sure, sometimes sure. they give you, um, you know, a, a, a proclivity towards violence. Um, <laughs> all good and bad. Um, but on, on the some of the other other areas of my life, um, like expeditionary evacuation of people f all over the world. Those my our ability to do that at Save Our Allies came from not Ranger, Ranger Regiment, not you know unit dudes. It came from guys that were in J sets or FID missions or had contacts with their G's um, in the countries that we were needing to operate to evacuate these people, and the that that special operations mindset of using or advising and assisting a company, like you're not the one that has to do the work. Mm -hmm. You're able to do it via a proxy of these people that you trust. And, and that's all trained and taught to us. Like it's through all the different phases of training during the Q course. And then you get to the team and you go and do your first training trip and you go and meet a whole bunch of people. You learn how to teach the fundamentals of marksmanship. You get to learn how to teach small unit tactics. You get to learn how to like set up a government, you know, like what, what, what does governance look yeah, like yeah. in Trinidad, you know, where they're not organi organized in the similar way that we are. So you have to like um, reimagine how to do it. Then you come out and then you look, 
you know, 10 years later, the people that you're there with have been promoted and they're generals. And now they're having like a, a hostage crisis and you can pick, pick up the phone and go and help people. Uh, and the military gave you all of these beautiful, brilliant systems and processes about how to do anything in life. And just like everything, you can take from these opportunities what you will. You know, you can waste your team life, hang out at Hooters, you know, go do the things. Or you can, like, treat it like the opportunity that it is. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just thought about it even from really, really simple things. How many hours of your life have been in complete silence under a rucksack? Just in your own head. Yeah. How many people get the opportunity to just walk in the woods being as quiet as possible for endless hours? Just getting this opportunity to spend that much time in your mind with yourself in the middle of the woods. And I, 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 I can't tell you how big of a fucking gift that was because whether you're you're grinding yourself out on a you know a 12 15 or 20 mile road march and you're not talking you're just like okay let's fucking go or you are talking right it can be one or the other but if you're if you grew up in the infantry which i did you weren't fucking talking <laughs> like you were just walking for with 45 to 65 pounds maybe more depending on the on the training cycle and the scenario and you're following the guy right in front of you for hours. And that could be in small unit tactics and patrolling. It could be fucking who knows. But for the most part, you spend a lot of time walking in silence, thinking. In some of that time, you're thinking, at least from my perspective, some of the gifts that it gave me, which was, like I remember distinctly this. I had a fucking shoulder injury. I dropped a log on my right shoulder. I couldn't pick my right arm up. And it was excruciatingly painful excruciatingly painful. I couldn't pick my arm. Was this during like, team week? Yeah, no, this was during um, phase one. They okay. had us do another, in small unit tactics, they had us do another round of fucking lock PT, which is super fun. I dropped the guy behind me, and then, you know, you're, the guy behind me had dropped it. We went to muscle failure, and then I dropped the log on the top of my shoulder. And you're I, short, so you get the I get the whole weight. weight. I couldn't move my right hand, and my right shoulder mm-hmm. was in so much fucking pain that I wanted to like urinate all the time because I was in pain. Well, now you put your rucksack on, which I could only use one fucking arm to put my rucksack on. And I was trying to hide it because I didn't want to get dropped from yeah. SUT. And and I would, every day, every step, I was in so much fucking pain. And I was like, I can't fucking say anything. I don't want to leave. It's got to get better. So hours and hours, you're not sleeping. They're you know, you're doing flutter kicks in the middle of the swamp. You're doing all this. And I'm, I, the only thing I'm thinking about is like one step, one minute was felt like three hours. And, and that lasted for, we'll call it a week before like the pain started to subside or whatever. And it would have different moments, but I dealt with this pain and the endless endurance of just grinding it out with this and then doing the thing on no sleep. No, no, no. And it was, it was horrible when you're doing it, when you get done, like, man, I, I I didn't know it until years later, but I didn't, I I didn't quite comprehend exactly what that would do for me, but it made me a much better person 
because I forced myself to do something that was so physically challenging on top of the fact of dealing with this fucking injury that was so painful. Yeah. So you're dealing with two different things. It's almost, you're being forced, like you're in a forced labor camp to do something so difficult. Ball, at the same time, you have a ton of time in your head yeah. just to think about the pain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what a great opportunity. Yeah. Like, you, you, you know, we, we could be talking about this. And I could be saying, oh my gosh. And I could be like, well, li listen to my violin, Tim. Like, look at the tears in my eyes. I'm like, no, dude, it was awesome. Yeah. Like, thank God they fucking, I had that opportunity. Where, that, where else would you have done that for yourself the, or for me? It's the best. You, you come out of there transformed. I, I think back to the, the post 9 11, the initial GWAT guys. Let's say the first five years post 9 11. The guys that came in from 2001 to 2006, that also led into peak war, which was 2004 to 2010. Um, these guys that were going through selection, that were in the Q course, for you to get Evan to drop out, you would have to go to you in the middle of the night while you're sleeping with a lead pipe and smash your knee into oblivion. There's nothing that any of these guys could have done to make you quit. As like, you can't move your arm. You can't put your rucksack on. You're in your head. Like to, to under, for somebody to understand that level of dedication and that then carries into the rest of your life and everything that you do. And you know that about yourself. You like, you're literally an unstoppable force from that moment on. And that was a gift that was given to you because you didn't quit. And from that moment forward, you're like, there, there was nothing. That, that's the whole point. Once you eliminate the possibility of quitting, the, the, the actual possibility of quitting from your mind, like there's nothing that can happen to me outside of a physical inner injury that would prevent me from moving my legs. Yeah. And it has to be epic. And it has to be epic. Because I saw dudes taking like hypodermic needles with glue <laughs> and injecting it into their feet when they're to get rid of the blisters yeah. as they drain it and then blew it and, and then, then they glue the flesh back into them. It's like, <laughs> you, it's like sick, bro. Like, like I love awesome. you. Like, that is epic. Yeah. yeah. I, and <sighs> when you can put yourself into that type of environment and then that type of mindset where there's no possibility of me actually quitting this thing. In in order to get there, you have to go on a journey. Yeah. You have to. In that, and, and I know a lot of like we'll say like ultra and competitive athletes, they go to, they go to those places like they they do, and they force themselves, which I have a whole other appreciation for. But that was one of the single greatest gifts that that it gave me early on, and it was 1997, and I was like, fuck yeah. Like, this is great because I, I, I've, I've talked about this being put into an environment and it, it's a controlled environment where other people are laying out the criteria for you as a, as a, as a young man and you can see what success or failure looks like and they've given you the crawl, walk, run pathway to success. Yeah. And then for you to enter in and then complete, what that does, it starts to give you the confidence to rinse, wash, and repeat. It's like a confidence and confidence, and it starts to compound on, on itself. And I still use it today. I, I talk about it where I have these confidence targets, I call them, or psychological confidence targets, where it's just little, like, it's, it's little shit, right? It's like, um, and I talk about, talk about it with my kids, where do things that you know you're going to succeed and do 20 little things during the day. Where you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. 
it's little things like discipline, right? It's like, I'm going to exclude this from my day, or I'm going to include this, you know, little chore or whatever it is. They're little things and they don't seem like a lot, but it's fucking ounces equal pounds. And what that behavior does, it starts to directly contribute to the bigger things that you have in life. Uh, This, um, 2024, I'm not really built for it. I don't think you are either. But um, there's something that's really tragically missing, and this it's this journey, this rite of passage. You know, I, when I grew up, I remember the first time I went hunting and camping. I remember the first time that you know my dad kind of like shook my hand, which was like a different moment than like the hug uh, of a son. It was like, hey, that was good work. Right. And uh, those moments, uh, there, all these different cultures, whether it's that young man in Africa that has to go out and sleep by him or like be alone throughout the night. Um, unbeknownst to him, the entire men in the village go out with him and they're surrounding him. And when they wake up, when he wakes up and the sun comes up in the morning and he's sitting there with a, on a rock with a blindfold and he's been hearing these noises all night long and he pulls the blindfold up as he feels the sun finally hit his, and he sees his dad is standing right there. Like there's these significant rites of passage and his dad's like, I was there all night with you but I got to see you be brave through the whole entire night. And um, the military gives you that. And it's it's desperately needed. I, and Apogee Strong, it's our, our young men's mentorship program. I, I've seen personally in millions, or not millions, in, in thousands of examples of the transformation in a young man's life when he gets to have that moment. And when he starts owning the, the that extreme ownership idea of like, this is my responsibility and I'm going to do it, it doesn't have to be the military, but the military absolutely gives it to you. Yes. Like you have no choice. Um, and in, in some other instances, it's a, a young man just stepping up in this moment and realizing through all of these millions of little decisions that he's ready for it. And then he makes this conscious decision and go through this transformative metamorphosis and he comes out on the backside as a man, they, young men need that. They need purpose, direction, motivation. And right now I just, it breaks my heart to see them lacking that. And the military is a route for that. They will give you purpose, direction, and motivation in every single Mm -hmm. sense, but there's nothing more dangerous than a young man without purpose. Um, A young person without purpose but a young person with purpose, the things that they can do, the things that they can create, the things that they can innovate, um, where they have their whole entire life ahead of them. But those moments to change them, to want to do that thing and not to quit, we're missing those right now. And um, like shame on this culture where we've made everything so easy, where these phones are so accessible, where I can order food and have it dropped off, where like, it's okay for you to be fat. I don't want to like fat shame you. like. Um, it's, you know, you can think whatever you are and believe whatever you are. It's fine. I'm libertarian. Like you do your thing, but more importantly, like have purpose and become a bad motherfucker that will never quit. And once you know your purpose, you will take that to the end period. Go and do that. Like we need it so desperately right now. We need, we need young men and women to, to wake up. I'm, I'm scared. Yeah. I think I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that you have, I think you have a, a a peer group of people around our age that have children that are also desperately seeking guidance from uh, guidance and inspiration from people. And how do you uh, raise people of substance 
what is substance? What is their purpose? What is their essence? I think part of the, and not to transition over to AI, but I think part of the most, like the, the scary aspects of AI is the way that it could redefine humanity and their essence, which from purpose to your point, if you're replacing our minds with something that is a thousand times faster and a million times smarter, what then becomes humanity is, is like, this is a fucking really important question for yeah. people to answer. Now you and I are not going to answer that question on this podcast, thank <laughs> God, but it's, it's scary for my kids. I look at my kids and I'm like, how is this directly going to impact their purpose as, you know, brilliant and beautiful children. And as they grow up in this world where there's a thing that's a thousand times faster and a million times smarter, and it's evolving yeah. every second of the day. It's, Whereas it's we like, can't evolve that fast. It's also being manipulated. Correct. You know, to, um, to our advantage or our disadvantages. I mean. That's right. It's uh, uh, ChatGPT. What an incredible tool. Um, you know, and it is. I can't comprehend how beautifully. I, I want you to write this paragraph for me. I want you to write it from this perspective. I would like you to use some self-deprecating humor in it. Okay. I would, rewrite that and include a couple of references uh, specific to this topic historically um, with dates that it happened. And it just spits it out. That would have taken hours and reps for me to do the research and, yes. and we're taking that away. Like, is it necessary? I, I think it's necessary for the devel development of the brain, but the, the thing that scares me the most is the programming of how they're manipulating the information where, you know, you, you ask the same question about two different candidates, and depending on which side of the the party aisle right. somebody falls on, the nature and tone of those respective articles, the exact same question with two different names, that will populate disparaging, derogatory, condescending things about one, and then praise and accolades of the other. It's just intellectually disingenuous, and, and I, I think dangerous. Very. I think it's one of the most important discussions that we can have as a nation, as like, as we look at humanity, just the future of humanity and looking at AI, if we're not tracking it, I definitely think people need to track it. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm trying as fast as I can, obviously. I mean, the brain is only so big and you can only take in so much information, but I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to to just wrap my own mind around what do I think? What yeah. what do I feel? Which is a distinct difference between what that is and what we are, right? Which yeah. is feel and then how do we interlock those two things and the interaction between us and the fucking universe. There's a lot of different things that are like really deep topics. By the way, you could spend the rest of your life trying to unpack that and it would be a well-worthwhile <laughs> well cause. Um you got to get on an airplane. I'm going to respect that. Uh, final thoughts from Tim Kennedy. That was a great cup of coffee. Yes. Thank, you. Thank you. I wish I could. Um, the last time I had a cup cup, cup call that good was uh, Andy Stumpf made it for me and Moab oh, the yeah. morning that I yeah. saw you. Like yeah. He got up early before our jump. And I, I was like anxious because I was the least experienced guy there. And he was kind of being big brother to me because he was by far brother. the most yeah. talented Um and I'm not praising him because I think he's ugly and stupid. Me and too. I hate him. Yeah, it's gross. But uh, he gets up early and kind of like makes an incredible cup of coffee and, you know, Pete's there and Denver's there. And um, that 
brotherhood and community, the thing that the military gave me the most of all was a family that not, I would die for, yes. Um, I would bury bodies for, yes. Um, I won't help you move, but you you call me at three o'clock in the morning, I'll do anything. And, and they gave me an understanding of the capacity and capability and the limit, limitless, limitlessness of of a young man and of men and of brotherhood. And it's like to walk into Mike's place this morning and be like, I love you, Mike. Like legitimately, I I haven't seen you in four months. And I walk in, I just like wanted to eat him. Then I want to steal his baby. And they're like, amazing little thing. And like, I can't live without it. So the closing idea is I love this community. I love how capable this community is. And as we're on the backside of GWAT, uh, I look back to the greatest generation. Yeah, they lived through the Great Depression. Yes, they beat the Nazis. Yes, they dropped a couple atomic bombs on the Japanese to end World War II. Then they came back and they turned America into the most powerful country to ever exist. That's the thing that the greatest generation did after the war. I don't want to see any more suicides. I don't want to see any more dudes whining about what their purpose is. Like pour yourself into your family, pour yourself into your business, pour yourself into your church, pour yourself into your school, pour yourself into your, whatever your purpose is, find it. And then like turn this country around. And if we don't do it, nobody else is going to, but nobody can do it besides us. So let's go motherfuckers. Amen. Tim Kennedy. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. This was dynamite. I know, man.